the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, May 4th. For just the third time in the past 40 years, we're going to have the WTA World number 1 and 2 face off multiple times on clay courts in a single calendar season. That is the outcome of today's semifinal action in Madrid. Yes, we also had some men's results I certainly want to touch on here today. Day, particularly given the fact that Jan Lennertruf has continued his exceptional form. He earns a three-set upset victory over Stefano Tsitsipas. That is certainly your most notable and most significant result of the day. But again, the biggest headline coming off of Thursday's play in Madrid has to be the fact that, again, for just the third time in the past 40 years, we're going to get to see the world number one and two face off on on the WTA Tour multiple times on clay courts. The last time it happened, 2013. Two players by the name of Serena Williams and Maria Sharapova. The time before that, oh, just two players with casual success throughout the course of their tennis careers in uh, Martina Navratilova and Chrissy Everett. Yeah, this doesn't happen very often. Get excited, folks. It is going to be a brilliant championship weekend, regardless of what happens on the men's singles side of things in Madrid and on today's show. Again, I want to set the scene uh, on everything that's happened, or I suppose a recap would be a better phrasing. I want to recap everything that happened over the last 24 hours on the singles court in Madrid. Look, the women's semifinals were not particularly dramatic. Iga, 1-1, one one. what's new? She continues to dominate when she wins first sets, continues to dominate more broadly on these clay courts overall. And again, it wasn't like a 1-1 one one over a Julia Graber in her first match of the event. This is 1-1 one one over 12th-seeded Veronica Kudermatova. They looked like they were playing two different sports. We'll get into what I mean on today's show. Of course, I also want to talk about Arena Sabalenka. I don't think the result was ever in doubt. Yes, as she races off to that three-love lead, I know Sakari gets that break back. Three-all, four-all, Sabalenka breaks for 6-4, cruises from there. Are you watching the matches? If you are, the control of tempo Sabalenka displays in each and every match that she plays, I mean, I've been seeing it since I started watching Sabalenka most closely, really since we started doing the show, end of 2018, 2019, but it's just so abundantly clear uh, the power tennis arena Sabalenka is capable of. It, it's top-tier tennis. And again, the unstoppable forks meets the immovable object. It's going to be an exceptional final. Want to set the scene for it on today's show. Again, it's matchup number eight between Sviantec and Sabalenka of their careers. I want to talk about what each of them have done, not just here this season, but over the last 52 weeks to further cement the case that I've been making throughout the course of Madrid that it's just such a definitive top two on the WTA Tour right now and why that's such a great thing for all of us tennis fans to enjoy. Of course, on the men's side, again, dramatic upset. Tsitsipas knocked out in three sets by Jan Leonard Struff. Now, it would be very easy to describe that result as a disaster. And certainly we should look at it from the Tsitsipas side of things because coming into the day, Jan Leonard Struff, Aslan Karatsev, Jung Ji Jen, and Stefano Tsitsipas. That's the bottom half of the Madrid singles draw coming into this uh, today's quarterfinal action. 
what a a 40 ranking delta between Tsitsipas and the closest guy or whatever it is in Struff in the live rankings in terms of being a French Open contender for Tsitsipas to not make the final here to not get another look at Alcaraz after Alcaraz again gave him the business in Barcelona I'm getting into the rant already here but I get the case for describing this match as a disaster that said what a joy this match was to watch. To watch two aggressors serve and volley, the brilliance of their first strike, the weight of that shot. Honestly, the movement we saw from the 33-year-old Struff, who was just a little bit more dynamic in particular, was better at pulling backhand down the line. It was really good tennis. I want to talk about it here on today's show. Again, where does Jan Leonard Struff go from here? What do we make of the Struffissants? I don't know, man. I really don't know what to make of it. I don't have too much insight into this Aslan Karatsev week. I mean, we've seen him play this level of tennis before. We've also seen this sort of streakiness that is, I suppose, most pronounced by looking at his last two years as opposed to just his last 52 weeks, but and maybe his last 12, his entire pro career, the ups, the downs. Um, but he's on one, as the kids would say, here this week, and you could just tell after he won that first set, Jung Ji Jen kind of lost steam. And how could he not after three straight, seven, six, and the third victories? But guess what? It's a rematch of a matchup we saw in the second round of Madrid qualifying, Struff and Karatsev. It's now a semifinal in Madrid. That hasn't happened in a very long time. And I've got plenty of out the ace stats for all of you listeners today to, again, bring you up to speed on where things stand in Madrid, of course, before we dive even further into today's action. And it's going to be a shorter podcast more broadly. I suppose that's why I feel particularly comfortable providing a longer introduction today. Not that I ever don't feel comfortable doing that. But before we get into everything, shout out to all of you for tuning in day in, day out. If you're looking for more action as things have slowed down in Madrid, we've got you covered. NCAA tournament begins this weekend. We've got coverage Friday, Saturday, Sunday of the opening rounds of play. 23 of the 32 host sites committed to our broadcast. As such, we've divided things into two separate streams. You can find them both on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. They start 10 a.m. Eastern time Friday. You can join myself, Perry Shinen, Chris Halioris. We're hoping to have a ton of fun interviews with coaches throughout the country throughout the course of the day as well. So if you're looking for action, you're ready to dive headfirst into the college tennis world. Join us this weekend if you're looking for previews of the NCAA tournament. Head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. John Parsons, Chris Hallioris, of course, joining me as they always do to set the scene for what is always, in my opinion, the best month of the tennis season. Again, it's May Madness. You've got the NCAA tournament. You've got Rome, Madrid, French Open this month on the Pro Tour. We had a really fun French Open wildcard challenge via the challengers that Patrick Kipson, a former Texas A&M standout, ultimately captured. It's a great time to be a tennis fan, and we'll keep you covered on everything happening here at Cracked Rackets, not just on this show, but on the Great Shot podcast, our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Of course, as always, be sure to like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. Uh, You can find links to all of them wherever you listen to your show or on our Cracked Rackets website. Of course, a shout-out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support of this podcast. You all know the deal. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right. Let's talk about what we saw on Thursday in Madrid. 
world number one versus world number two in the final is the unequivocal headline. Again, to blitz through Iga, not to diminish what she accomplished with her one-in-one victory over Veronica Kudermatova, but what is there to talk about from a tennis perspective? Saved all five break points that she faced, won 70% of her service points, only made 52% of her first serves, and yet, just again, her ability to absorb pace on this surface, her ability to change direction on this surface, and just the heaviness of the ball she hits on this surface. Clay courts maximize everything Iga Svantec wants to do. They also minimize her weakness. It's that much harder to hit with pace through her forehand, which, while not a debilitating weakness, is certainly the clearest pathway to a potential victory, which is still going to be immensely hard to do against Iga Svantec. And yet as powerfully as Kudermatova can hit the ball, as springy as her serve can be, and in particular her kick serve out wide, I mean, you just can't hit kick serves out wide against Iga Svantec because if you give her time on the backhand wing, there's no place she can't hit the ball. Uh, down the line, short angle cross, some of the backhands lines she'd hit on Kudermatova where Kudermatova was just certain she was going to go back cross, you know, or certain Svantec was going to run around the ball, hit an inside out forehand. And today, Iga's like, nah, I'm, I'm feeling good enough on my backhand. It just feels like, go watch the highlights. I mean, you know, again, or go watch the full match. It's only going to take you a little more than an hour. It's winner after winner after winner after first strike after first strike. And just, again, return absorbed. She's so good. I I said, what's the difference between good and great as a mover? Good players slide out of their shots. Great movers on clay slide into them. Her ability to slide, not just into the forehand, but the way she captures, uh, or, or her ability, excuse me, not just to slide into the backhand, but her the way she captures the ball and her racket on the forehand and, you know, again, is able to elevate that ball with just enough height over the net to buy her some time to recover and yet just enough action on the ball that it's not sitting short to be easily attacked. It's generational. It's brilliant to watch. And now he goes 60 and 10. Overall, in her last 52 weeks, she's made 11 different quarterfinals, have gotten two withdrawals, so 10-1 and one in those quarterfinal rounds, 9-3 and three in the 12 semis she's played. And if you're thinking to yourself, wait, you just said 11 quarterfinals, how does she have 12 semifinals? Well, of course, she made the Fort Worth semifinals, the year-end tour finals last year, which there is no quarterfinal round. It starts out with round-robin play. So 11 quarterfinals, she's 10-1. and one. 12 semifinals, she's 9-3, and three, now into her ninth final, and she's 6-2 and two in her previous, ten, uh, previous eight. That's her past 52 weeks. That doesn't include last year's Indian Wells. That doesn't include last year's Miami. That doesn't include last year's Stuttgart. That doesn't include last year's, I forget which Middle East event it was, but I know she won one of them. Double-digit titles over the past 16 months. She's playing in what? That would mean... Somewhere between her 13th, uh, 13th-ish final over the course of the past 15, 16 months. She's won, again, she's 60 and 10, winning 86% of her matches. I've said it before, I've said it again. Historically, you look at the all-time 21 and under players. Monica Seles is the gold standard. She won seven slams before turning, or eight slams, I think, before turning 22 years old. Um was world number one for a bunch of years. Just no one won like 90% of her matches. There will never be a better 21 and under player in tennis history than Monica Seles. I feel very confident saying that right now. 
Next is Martina Hingis, who had five slams, who won like 80, 85% of her, 84 to 86% of her matches was a world number one. Again, did all of this before turning age 22. After that, you have the Serena Sharapova tier, where by the age of 21, Serena Sharapova, they were around 77 to 82% win percentage. Each had played in slam finals, maybe won a slam or two beaten world number ones were clearly going to be generational players. I'll tell you what, Iga's got three slams. She's been world number one now for a year, we'll say. She leads the tour in top 20 victory. You know, again, she's got all these top 10 wins now piled up as well. I'm not saying she's elevated above the Serena Sharapova tier definitively, but if she wins the French and she'll have four slams... It's closer to Hingis than it is Serena and Sharapova. Just historically, the accomplishments. Again, 21 years old. You look for Iga Svantec in her career. She's 178 and 50 overall. She's won 78% of her career matches on the WTA Tour. Like, again, I don't put, elevate her over the Serena and Sharapova tier lightly. I think there's no debate that she's in that tier now in terms of 21 and under success. Like, there's just no debate to be had. She is now in that tier. I think it's now, you know, four faces for Mount Rushmore makes more sense. Ours is a five-face Mount Rushmore. Those are the five 21 WTA and under players, gold standards in terms of what you're going to see. And I believe Opta Ace provided the statistic. You look uh, for Iga Swiatek now with her victory, 23-0 and in 2023 when she's won the first set, 45-0 and in WTA 1000 main draws for her career when she's won the first set, 48-1 and on clay courts in her career at the WTA Tour level when she's won the first set. She's the third player in the open era to win all of her first eight WTA semifinals held on clay. She joins Peaches, Barkovich, and Venus Williams. Not the worst company. She's the first player to reach eight-plus finals in her first 14 WTA tournaments played on clay since Monica Seles. Come on. First since Seles. It's the first time – again, if she wins the French, I, I still think you have to put it probably slightly below Hingis because of all the double success Hingis had as well. I know it's a different era and double – you play doubles more then than you were – more likely to play then than you were now. But like just a reminder of what Iga's done so far through her career. Again, I'm not saying – she has definitively been better than Serena, definitively better than Sharapova, or that she will have careers as good as those two did, particularly Serena freaking Williams, the greatest tennis player, the most accomplished tennis player in history, men's or women's, period. Um, I'm not saying she's going to surpass Serena Williams. I'm saying, as we so frequently joke around here, and I'm glad I haven't done this rant in a while, so here's a little bit more historical context, and maybe now Ega fans will forgive me well, I don't think I need to be forgiven. They got angry with David Kane, who I think they should forgive as well because David Kane, the biggest advocate for women's tennis, is a massive – again, it will be the first to acknowledge Iga Svantec, all she has accomplished, the success of her game, even if he is more inclined to see upside in players with more pronounced weapons, I suppose. Um, anyways, that disclaimer aside, enjoy what Iga's doing. Because these players come around once in a generation. And there is no more argument against Iga Swiatek being a player of her generation. Again, the fondest thing I can say is 
22 years old at the end of this month. And you can, she can legitimately say, I have not been eliminated from the greatest of all time discussion. I'm not saying she's the greatest of all time, but she hasn't been eliminated from that discussion. And that doesn't happen very, very frequently. Again, first since, I don't know, who got off to this good? No one's gotten off to this good of a start. Like I know Kennan makes two finals in 2020, hasn't made one since. She was you know really young at the time, obviously. And I'm not holding that against her. Von Drusova. I think she was, what, 1920 when she made that French Open final, and Isamova was a semifinalist at the French that year. The consistency for Miga Sviantek is what stands out as just so ridiculously remarkable. And look, again, now she's going to take on world number two, Rina Sabalenka, maybe the one player who does have the sort of weapons that can, again, at least disrupt the rhythm, the physicality, and take the ball off the racket of Iga Sviantek. Now, again, Sviantek just beat her indoors on clay in Stuttgart. And while the elevation of Madrid has certainly helped Arena Sabalenka's ball fly through the court as it did in her 4-1 victory over Sakari, I mean, again, it's going to be such a good matchup. Sabalenka now, by the way, most top 10 wins of any player on the WTA Tour since the start of Eastbourne 2018. So really since the summer of 2018, which again is pre-Iga's ascension, but She's got 25. Credit to her. Again, right up there. She's now, uh, I believe, for Sabalenka, the first player. Yeah, and all these according to Opta Ace. Shout out, as always. Arena Sabalenka, the first player to reach five finals in a single season before the Italian Open, a.k.a. Rome, since Victoria Azarenka in 2012. Azarenka 2012 is a Pantheon Hall of Fame, like, once-in-a-generation type season. And, I mean, again... Iga right now, 25-4 and four overall here in 2023. Sabalenka's 28-4. And I mentioned all the statistics for Iga. We don't have to do a side-by-side comparison, but why not? You know, Iga 11 quarterfinals in the last 52 weeks. Sabalenka's made 12. Iga 12 quarterfinals in the last 52 weeks. Sabalenka's made 10. Iga's nine semifinals in the last 52 weeks. Sabalenka's made six. Uh, excuse me. 12 quarterfinals for Iga, Sabalenka's made 13. 12 semifinals for Iga, Sabalenka's made 10. Now nine finals for Iga. Sabalenka's in her seventh final over the last 52 weeks. Iga's beaten 10 top 20 players here in 2022. She's 10 and 2 overall. Uh, in 2023, excuse me, she's 10 and 2 overall. Sabalenka's 9 and 2 against top 20 opponents here this season. And again, she has, she's 28 and 4. A third of her wins, I'm going to round up, a third of her wins have come against top 20 opponents. Like, it hasn't been a simple schedule. And, you know, again, statistically, Sabalenka holding 84% of the time, that would be a top five serving season in WTA Tour history. She's also breaking serve 40% of the time, which is a top 10 number amongst top 50 players on the WTA Tour. And it just manifests with what you see with your eyes. She just overwhelms you with everything. And while Sakari, you know, did a great job from three love down to level things at three all and, again, assert herself with her serve, her first forehand, she just couldn't sustain that first serve percentage high enough, and she just didn't. Again, the pace of Sabalenka's ball, it just overwhelms even someone as strong as Sakari. You could see Sakari was falling back after every ground stroke because of how heavy that Sabalenka ground stroke is. And, you know, again, Arena's been excellent. I, I, they've both been excellent. 
These are the two best players in the world. Sabalenka, so far, on the on the clay, started in Stuttgart, so now she's played, what, this will be her seventh match in, in Madrid, so, uh, excuse me, her sixth match in Madrid, four in Stuttgart, so she's played nine so far. She's lost, what, one, two, three, four total sets in nine matches, so she's, what, and she's gone, you know, three sets with Sharif, three sets with Bedosa, a straight set loss to Sviantec, and it was a really fun Stuttgart final. Eight and one, and your one loss is to Shiantek. Yes, was has it been the hardest draw? No, Sakari was her first seeded opponent in Madrid. But Sabalenka's beaten everyone she's supposed to beat. And while she did that most of the time in her ascension over the past few years, again, there just hasn't been a single slip-up this season. Was the Kirstea match her best performance in Miami? No. Was it her best performance in the Indian Wells final from a serving perspective? No. Has she played a horrible, you know, the sort of 14 double fault stinker you got once every two months, maybe even once a month over the course of the past few years? She hasn't. And we're now in month number five of this 2023 season. They're the best two players in the world. They go head to head in the final. 5 2 career advantage right now for Sviantek as such, 71.8% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. Now, again, these two just faced off head-to-head on clay in Stuttgart, so I suppose we have all seen it before. But just to, I suppose, uh, recap what those 5-2 head-to-head battles looked like uh, between the two, you look uh, for Sabalenka and Sviantek. They've played on clay three times, Stuttgart, Rome, Stuttgart, all victories for Sabalenka. She, all three of those matches, by the way, finals, finals, or semifinals. It's the third time they've played in finals since the start of... They've played two Stuttgart finals and now a Madrid final. Um, how many of their matches have gone three sets? I'm glad you asked. Three of the seven have gone three sets, including two of their last three. Sabalenka obviously got the big win indoors in Fort Worth. She also beat them, beat Iga the first time they played, 7-5 in the third in Guadalajara. Both of Sabalenka's wins, three sets. The three times they've played on clay, Iga has earned straight set victories in all three. Buckle your seatbelts. Clear schedule. Again, this is the, the beauty of multiple screens or multiple things now. You can have our Crack Rackets NCAA broadcasts on your YouTube screens. You can have on the TV for Tennis Channel that Sabalenka-Sviantec final it's going to be a great week of tennis. And again, that's just half, not even half, a quarter of the draw we have in Madrid if you include what's been really fun doubles action. Going to veer away from the doubles from now. Let's focus on the singles. I mean, look, again, some scholars could argue it was a disastrous loss for Stefano Tsitsipas. I'm going to take the glass half full perspective. Jan Leonard Struff now 55 and 25 over his last 52 weeks. Shout out to the two thirds rule. He's winning two thirds of his matches. Thus, he's continued to ascend from outside the top 100 into the top 40 of the live ATP rankings. 33 and 12 in his la- uh, here in 2023. Obviously, lucky loser, uh, loses to Karatsev, who will now get a rematch against in the Madrid semifinals uh, in qualifying, but wins over Sinego, Shelton, Lajevic, Kachin, and now Tsitsipas, 6-3 in the 30s, won four straight three-setters, all of those matches over the two-hour mark. I mean, during this run, he's held 84.4% of the time this year. He's breaking serve 27% of the time this season. 
You don't even have to. I mean, yeah, you have to address the beginning of the year for the level of competition. But he has now made quarterfinals Monte Carlo, semifinals Madrid, made semifinals in Phoenix when we got the chance to chat with him. And you can go watch that on YouTube or hear it on our Crack Interviews podcast feed if you want to learn more about the 33-year-old German and this ascension. He's 15th in the points race right now. And like, again, do I like to be hyperbolic sometimes on this show to entertain all of you listeners? Of course. That's my job here, to make tennis entertaining for all of you. Go watch Struve play. Tell me that's not what a top 15 player looks like. The serve, the, the explosiveness of every ground stroke he hits, his willingness and penchant to move forward, and how being on his front foot has just allowed him to dictate terms. And then... Big boy can move. Like, you know, again, Jan Landerstruf has a special place in our heart here at Crack Rackets. And I know I'm, I'm so grateful we've picked up so many new listeners along the way. I mean, if you want to go listen to our 2018 work, you're more than welcome to 2019 work. A lot of times, you know, Matt Stokowiak, who is an original contributor here at Crack Rackets, Jamie McDonald as well. They had a fondness for the weaponry of Jan Leonard Struff, and obviously back then was when he made his push into the career high of what, I think number 29 was as high as he got, and right now he's 32 in the live rankings, up 33 spots this week. When the weapons are firing, when he's playing with confidence, when he's changing direction backhand down the line like he did twice to earn the third set break to clinch at 30 all along, what, 15-ball rally, 16-ball rally, ended on a Struff down-the-line backhand off of what I thought was a good inside-out forehand from Tsitsipas, but Struff was daring enough to change direction. He does it again earlier in the next point, feeling confident. Rides that break through the finish line. Again, for uh, Struff, his third straight three-set victory fights off nine of ten break points that he faces in what he played two in qualifying, now five main draws, seven total matches here this week. He's been broken a grand total of four, six, eight, nine times. Nine times in seven matches on clay. It's elite. And again, go watch him play. He should be 33 in the world or 32 in the world as he is in the live rankings. And for the 33-year-old now, is he, he's not only going to make over $500,000 this season easily, like lose first-round matches of slams with the money you've already banked and lose first round of all the tournaments you now are going to be able to get into the main draw of Cincinnati, Canada, Paris, like 33 years old. It's a serious money-making year. And let's be honest here. Kind of sets up next season as well. Yes, he'll have a massive chunk of points to defend, but all that challenger success he had over the course to end last season doesn't have to worry about that now with these two uh, quarterfinals, semifinals at 1,000-level events sitting on his resume. He's getting into slams probably next year as well, or at least he's getting into the next five and next four, I guess, because both of them are coming off. But, like, you got four slam paychecks guaranteed now. If you're Jan Leonard Struff, and I hate to always talk about the money aspect as I feel like I've been doing of late, but like at 33 years old, you got to start thinking, all right, if I'm outside the top 100, how much longer can I afford to do this? Because travel expenses are significant and how much and how worthwhile are those expenses? What is my pathway forward back to success? Those are the internal struggles, which I'm so fortunate so many players have shared with us over our time doing interviews on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. And like those issues can be they're dis- they're gone for the next six months. Like Struff gets to play stress free tennis, and a guy with those weapons, stress free. I mean, he just beat 
2021 French Open finalist and world number five, Stefano Tsitsipas. So I think that speaks for itself. Now, again, it's a disaster for Tsitsipas. I know he was only broken once in the match, won 82% of his first serve points. And I thought I test-wise played pretty darn well in this match. Like, God, his first serve, first forehand, first strike combination is effective. Struff was better at it than him. And again, the difference between the two, that backhand, like with both guys playing with elite power tennis, and I do think if you're Tsitsipas, 30,000-foot view, Struff is one of maybe seven guys on this surface who's capable of doing that to his game. But like, again, if it's first strike versus first strike, and that's the most pronounced skill of the two guys, Tsitsipas has to win that match. He's got to make the final with the draw that open. It's just too big of an opportunity at this point of his career, twenty, you know, 40 years old, 25 in August. He feels younger. I feel like he feels like he's 27, 28. Um, you just got to make that final, I think. I really I really think, you, again, it's a disappointing loss for him. Now, Rome is coming up still. I'm not selling stock on Stefano Tsitsipas. I'm saying I can imagine he is furious coming off of the court today because that's just one you got to have, especially in a week where you beat team, you beat Baez, you play really well, just overwhelms Zapata Morales. And yet again, it's the same story. Someone who can play with elite pace, disrupting the rhythm of Stefano Tsitsipas or beating him at his own game. Still, the story's Struff. I think that's the biggest one. Who advances again? First semifinal at a 1,000-level event of his career. Same for the 29-year-old Aslan Karatsev, who goes from number 121 to start the event all the way up to number 5170 spot leap for Karatsev here in Madrid. Was 8-8 eight and eight overall. Now 15-8 and eight on the year after seven straight victories. In these seven victories, he's dropped just one set. That was in the second round to Demon Hour. Seven six six four over Ji Jung uh, Jung Ji Jen was broken wasn't broken excuse me in the match throughout his seven wins he's been broken a grand total of five times this week. I mean again if you give him any sort of time and he has a little bit more time on these clay courts God can he put the ball wherever he wants it to go he's just locked in and I mean the biggest thing you can say for Karatev now is he's just in the you know this is a guy who's twenty five and twenty nine overall in his last fifty two weeks. He just needed wins. He needed freaking points. And now he gets him up to number 51 in the live rankings. You're playing Rome. You're playing main draw of the French Open. You get to go play those grass court events, I suppose, barring a neutrality pledge but, you know, via the Russians. We're not going to get into that right now. Um, but you get to go play all the summer events as well, and you don't have to go through qualifying to get in either. It's a new ball game when you're 51 in the world. It just is. Again, every event on the calendar now open to 29-year-old Aslan Karatsev. It's a it's a restart. It's a refresh. Again, gets to look at this second half of the season with a brand new scheduling perspective. All those challenger trips he thought he was making. Nope. Probably headed to North America a little bit earlier, my friend. Uh, Karatsev, semifinalist. Again, 6-4. and four, Ends a phenomenal run for the 26-year-old Jijun Zheng. Uh, now 67 in the ranking, second highest ranked Chinese man behind Yibing, uh, Wu Yibing, excuse me, Yibing at number 55, two Chinese men in the top 70 after not a single Chinese man had reached the top 100 entering this season. That, my friends, is the definition of progress. With that said, though, that's everything that's happened over the last 24 hours in Madrid. Now, again, the big news 
NCAA tournament opening weekend starts Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern time. Myself, Perry Shining, Chris Halioris, and a cast of other friends going to be steering the ship all weekend long. Be sure to join us on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel, of course. Given that fact, not sure how many mini-break podcasts we have. Certainly, we'll be doing a lot of college-centric content over the course of the next month, but I know Rome's on the horizon. French Open, obviously, as well. Don't worry, folks. We won't leave you hanging. With all that said, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. A shout-out, as well, to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support. Remember, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.